Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Deaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth. And there is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com slash shop. All right, welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Catherine Sisson. That's how you pronounce your last name, right, Sisson? Yes, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so welcome, Catherine. Hello. So Catherine and I um, met in a transactional analysis uh, group in Arizona, and it's been a while since we connected, but I found out she was pregnant, and we had a lot of conversations when I lived in Arizona about motherhood and periods. And she had an interesting experience while I was living there. So um, with her period in particular. So I wanted to have her on to share about that. So um, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, Should I just jump into the story or? Well, so usually I start with period history. So um, if you can talk about when you got your first period, what that looked like for you, what conversations were going on around amongst like friends, family, at school, anything that you recall about sort of like early menstruation. Yeah. So I don't actually have a lot of memories about early period stuff. So I'm pretty sure I got my period when I was 14, 15. And I remember like just waking up in the morning and feeling really crampy and then bleeding and, you know, telling my mom about it. And, and then she gets like really excited and then, um, brings me to my dad and then tells him like, Catherine's a woman now. And I just, and I like him and I just felt so awkward. Awkward, And he's like, great. And I thought like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so it kind of started off weird. And I remember feeling really crampy when I get my period. Um, but I didn't actually have a normal period for a long time. Cause I think it was 
shortly after that, that I started my first relationship and uh, my oldest sister um, took me to Planned Parenthood and got me on birth control. So it was one of those, I think her and my other sister had been talking like, you think she's having sex? And they're like, yeah. So um, anyways, and so they, they, you know, she's like, if you are, I want you to be, you know, safe about it. And so I got on Planned Parenthood. I went to, I got on the pill when I was 15 and, um, which in a way I felt really grateful for because I was just not thinking about that. And I was have with a partner that was just ended up being really abusive at the time. So it was like one of those, thank you. Um, but I never really got off the pill. Like I remember switching from different pill to different pill to different pill. And so my periods then were always really light and, um, I think they'd only last a few days. So it was just kind of a non-event and then it's go back on the next cycle of the pill. And it was really nothing that I had thought about or anybody really talked to me about. So, and it's not like I had the same doctor for years. It was like different things happened with health insurance or I moved off of my parents' health insurance plan. So I um, just went to different doctors and they all just, you know, said the same thing. Like, yeah, this is great. You're fine. Here you go. You know, you're being a responsible human being. And in a way I felt like I was. Did you ever have any, I can relate to this so much. My own story is like exactly 15 and then no issues. Everybody just switching on different pills. And, um, did you ever have any side effects specifically that you could maybe even retrospectively connect with being on birth control? Oh, I had no sex drive. So I think that was the big thing. Like I had no real concept of what hormones even were or how they really played a big role in my life. And, but hindsight, looking back, like I, I really feel like it dampered my, um, it, even my confidence, like really like my ability to feel like I could connect. Like I always wanted, I always wanted to feel really sexual and sexy and, and it just always felt like something that was lacking. So it was almost like I would, anytime I would date somebody or be in a relationship or have a sexual encounter, like be built up on this idea, but not really the feeling that connected me. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I actually had a lot, a really hard time connecting sexually with any of my partners for prolonged periods of time in particular. So um that was a big thing that I didn't even realize. I always just thought it was something with me. Like I was like broken or whatever, right. As we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I, and I was on birth control until I was, I think it was 30. I think I had turned, it was 29 or 30. And I believe it was like a, one of the years, like Obamacare had started like maybe two years after. And it's like, I had just procrastinated getting on a new insurance plan and um, waited anyways to the last minute. And then by the time I found a doctor, it was like, I don't know a few like she had a waiting list of a few months. And then, so I wasn't on, I couldn't get my prescription refilled for like four months. And in those four months, I never got my period, which seemed pretty alarming to me. And then I went to see her and it was like, you know, first she's like, yeah, that can happen. It's normal. And then, but she then asked me, which I like hindsight looking back, she was an amazing doctor and I'm so glad that I met her. But then she's like, oh, do you get any headaches? And I was like, yeah, actually I do. I've only been getting headaches for like the last year. And they're like very specific in the back, like occipital area. And then 
she's like, oh, what about nipple discharge? Now, a little side story. When I was 18, I got my nipple pierced at a concert and then went into the mosh pit and then it fell out. Luckily didn't get ripped out, but fell out. And then I got it re-pierced so that my nipples always been kind of weird. And it had, I think like I noticed like four years earlier that it had like a discharge and I went to a doctor to check it out. And they're like, well, it's not an infection. Sometimes the ducts can be weird with piercings and you're fine. So, and you only had one pierced. I had two pierced. Um, and then I did find out, but one was kind of just always, I don't know. It was just one that would act up or get itchy or something. And then I'd be like, what's happening. And then I'd get a little discharge and then it's, and then I was like, that's weird. And then, um, I later on found out it was both. Like after I was diagnosed, it was like, I did more like you know, like body investigating. And then I was like, oh shit. So um, it was kind of like more if I stimulate, then I would get some discharge. So, (laughs) and then when I told this new gynecologist about it, she's like, yeah, we're going to get your blood levels checked. And so she tested my prolactin and which was high, although not like crazy high. So I think the normal numbers were not that I know exactly what the measurement they were testing, like micrograms or something, but it was somewhere between like 15 and 35 and Mm -hmm. mine was hundred. So then getting the MRI found out that I had two micro pituitary tumors and one was eight millimeters and one was two millimeters. So at that point, um, it's like, well, do you want to get them surgically removed or do you want to take medication for it? And then the medication, it's, it's like generally a lifelong thing. Like you just take a couple pills a week for the rest of your life to manage it. And I really hated both of those options. I, this is a point in my life where I was really, you know, I was getting more into acupuncture and more alternative medicine. And I've had a history with an autoimmune disorder and taking immunosuppressants and had surgery from that. So I did not want to be on medication for long periods of time. And I did not want to have surgery again. So, and this was, I remember the time that we were connecting and I was um, doing a lot of meditative work on like how to proceed with this. So, um, and I remember having doctors saying, let's get you back on birth control. Cause then it's like, it's, then, then you have time to reflect on that if you want, but because if you're not on your birth control for long periods of time, or if you're not getting your period for long periods of time, then that really messes up your system. So they're like, we want to at least put the bandaid. And I remember them saying that term, like, we're going to put this on as a bandaid for now until we get this all resolved. And I was just like, I don't want to. So, <laughs> um, I tried taking different herbal remedies and that didn't do anything. And I went to a naturopathic doctor and she's like, well, yeah, it's not, this is, this is a tumor. You're, you're going to have to do one of these options. And she's like, the medication has very minimal side effects. And, you know, the surgery um, is doable, but there's no telling on if it'll grow back or not. So she was really like to go for the medication. And so I remember I did a lot of I had a friend at the time who gave me the suggestion on doing dream meditations and it really blew my mind. Um, so it's like, you kind of ponder this question and then thinking about the whole, everything that's associated with it. And I would write it down before I went to bed at night and think about it. And I put it under my pillow and then, um, just really like try to get into the habit of doing that until I could really remember my dreams and then write down my dreams. 
And I remember having one dream in particular, and this is when I remember sitting down with you and Athena and having like this really big kind of realization, which like scared the shit out of me. And um, I don't, it's intricate. Can I just keep rambling? Is that funny? Keep going. Yes. This is all so great. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and so I remember having one of those nights, like I had a lot of dreams about what it meant to be a girlfriend or a partner and, or being a woman. And, um, and then I remember having one dream in particular where it's like, I woke up in the dark and I had a baby and it was like an egg. <laughs> and, um, and uh, my friend Alonzo, who I would like consider to be like a big teddy bear child helped me deliver it. And it was just such a weird experience and it's like he hands me the baby like there you go matter of factly and I'm like the whole dream I'm like oh my god I don't know what to do with this like I'm trying to figure out how the hell do you take care of a baby and all the moms that I knew in the dream are like busy doing their own thing and so I feel like I'm just like I was like okay you put them on your chest I think there's a skin to skin thing so I just remember like pulling up my shirt and plopping the baby or the egg on and then like just still like wandering around like do you know how to help me? Do you know how to help? Like, what do I do? And then I remember uh, running into another friend and I'm like freaking out and he's just very calm. Like, yeah, you are freaking out. That's a thing. And, and then I, and then in the distance, I see my, my boyfriend at the time and, and I just panicked because he was very much not interested in having kids. And I remember that now that you say it, I guess. Okay. He was very adamant about he will never have kids. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of been in that boat too, but not, I felt like I was more responsively doing that. Like I remember getting a lot of pressure uh, younger, you know, like when you have kids and I was like, fuck you, I'm never having kids. Like, and thinking about all that goes with it, all the responsibility and being there for not just the good times, but the bad times and realizing you're playing more than just a role of, you know, it's not just you get to this beautiful creature you get to hold on to. It's like you have to play the hard role with them, too. And that idea really scared me. And I wasn't even sure I could really do it. So anyway, so up until that point, him and I had been on the same page. And then in this dream, it's like I realized I'm not sure I'm on that same page. So in the dream, I see him in the distance and I like turn around and hide myself really quick. And I'm like, what do I do? And I'm just kind of panicking in my, in, in the dream. And then I, I realize I'm like, you know what? I decide I choose the egg, you know? And it felt symbolically like I'm choosing myself. And like when I woke up and I remember you, me and um, Athena were talking about this and Athena was a mom of three kids at the time, still still is. Mm -hmm. And, and I just remember feeling like it was, it felt like it was the first time that I was choosing myself over a partner. So it felt really monumental to me and also like symbolic, but also I was, I remember Athena saying like, oh, you guys would be such good moms. And I was like, no, no, no. Like still like really couldn't handle that idea. Um, so years later, <laughs> um, oh, and so going with that, I started, I did decide to get on medication and I did start getting my period again. And like my whole personality felt like it changed. I 
started having a sex drive, like I felt really confident and sexy. And it was like, I almost like it really, it scared me at first. Like I was having dreams that I was going to be out of control sex monster. (laughs) And, um, but it felt so good. Like I felt alive. I felt like this is more me than I felt like I've ever felt before. Uh, Yeah. So it just felt like such a huge experience. And so And then I went through just like all of these different like dating experiences of getting to know myself and uh, yeah. Just to rewind a second and you don't have to talk about it too much in detail if you would rather not, but um, did you ultimately decide to not be with that partner because you had this realization that you wanted to have children and he was just like, so would you say that was like the main separating point? I feel like you could say that. I can't say yes for certain, although it's like in a way. So I remember at that time, it was like, I really just came to the realization that I don't know what I want to do, but I knew that if I did ever get accidentally pregnant, I would not, I would not have an abortion. I did not feel like that's something I could do. Mm -hmm. And I knew that with Lance, because he was so adamant about that, it was like, well, I'd never want to be in that situation with him because Mm -hmm. that would just feel so deceptive. You know, I just, anyways, it just would feel really bad in so many ways. And, but ultimately with him, like, I remember telling him this whole thing about it and how I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I want to have kids. I kind of feel like I do. And I don't like, you know, it's, you're screwed either way. (laughs) I have kids. I will regret it. If I don't have kids, I will regret it. And he was still in his same camp and it just, and I felt like that was almost really what started the chasm, like, but that built between us, which is what our, our relationship slowly fizzled out. Mm -hmm. So in a way, yeah, I, but it wasn't like an intentional, like, no, I definitely want to have kids now and we need to move on. But it, it did feel like our frames changed and we were no longer on the same page. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you were saying you were starting to date people and enjoying this newfound sexuality. Yeah. And then, um, and so I met somebody and, um, And I really liked him a lot, but he was actually dating um, somebody that I was acquainted with. So I was like, nope, I'm not gonna, like, not gonna look at you. And I think for a while, like, we just kind of developed a, like, a distant friendship. And, and then I think during, yeah, during, like, quarantine, lockdown, um, that him and the, his partner split up and, and her and I stopped talking at some point too, um, unrelated. And, um, and then him and I like met up again at a park and started dating. And he's somebody, he's been, he's been somebody that did feel like just like upon being in his presence, I felt like it really like stroked my, my desire urges like crazy like it felt like it was like intoxicating being around him and and then so once we started to reconnect just us like during quarantine it felt like I don't know it just felt so good I was going through a lot of changes in my practice and my own self I went through a training in Maine um, for structural integration and so kind of changing my career path a little bit 
And I remember coming, like him and I would be texting and then I came back and he was just became a really big supportive part of my life. And I did kind of keep him at a distance because I still felt like, well, I know you from a friend. So this feels kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I, it just really just, he just really stuck around and it was just, I don't know, it just felt so right. And then, so him and I started dating and I started to have these fantasy, like these movies. I don't feel like it was an intentional fantasy, but these movies in my head would play about like me being pregnant and you know how he'd come up and hug me from behind and he's so affectionate. And it's one of the things I really love about him. And I would like have these movies about having his kids or being pregnant and it scared the shit out of me. And so then I'd push him away and I would do that back and forth. <laughs> and and I would always kind of chalk it up to like my hormones and just like, it's like, you know what, I'm ovulating. So I feel like this is just, and I don't think that's just it though, because I feel like he did provide like a safe space for me that it's like, this is somebody that does want to be with me and is open to having kids. And, and then, and not through planning, um, but him and I got pregnant and, um, yeah. So, were you, so this medication that are you still taking it? So once you get pregnant, they tell yeah. you to go off of it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Because, um, yeah, we'll but you that. were taking it, um, and then, and you were getting your period like very regularly. Yes. Okay, cool. And then were, so did you have like kind of an awareness of when you were ovulating ish or not? Yeah. yeah, I would actually track it because the idea of going back on birth control was really just not something I wanted to do again. It just felt like it really changed my personality and felt so stifling once I got to meet this new part of me that I was like, I'm not doing that again. So well, and you know what's so interesting about that is that there. I mean, I'm in this camp for sure that you don't even realize when you're on birth control, it's only in retrospect that you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I was like a completely different person. But you also could identify you have no libido at that time, too, um, which is very common. So the synthetic hormones have a really different impact on your body than your actual hormones that your body produces for sure. Absolutely. So, and then kind of just rewinding back a little bit, there was a time like, so with this medication, it's called cabergoline. They, um, and it kind of like stops the circulation to the tumor. So it doesn't grow. It does kind of shrink because it's not getting the blood supply that it needs. And so, um, and then thus um, deactivating the prolactin release, because that's the hormone that it would really predominantly excrete or allow to excrete. I don't know exactly how that works. Um, so I, there's a, they say that, you know, after you're on it for a couple of years, you can try to get off it. And some people it's like, it just, they don't need it. They just need it for a couple of years. It's kind of like a nope, little signal and it stops it. And then sometimes you need it for the rest of your life. But every doctor I talk to, they're like, yeah, you're likely going to need it for the rest of your life. So when I, I, I was very much like, but I don't want to take it. So if I don't have to, let's get off it. So I started to teeter off of it and it got to the very lowest dose, which was like, I think you'd only take like 
half like a milligram or a half a milligram a week twice a week so it was like one quarter milligram once a week and it I was starting to have like premenopausal symptoms mm -hmm. so it was just like my lady parts were so mad at me and it's like it was like yeast infection no it's not it's um, it's like just all this severe dryness. And then I felt so like my emotions started to change a little bit. And it was like the day before your period for like weeks. And so I remember talking to my doctor and, or I got my blood levels checked because they would check my, my prolactin levels. And he's like, yeah, this is not, this is going back up. So you need to get back on it. And I actually felt really relieved because I was so worried about losing this sense of self and going back into that place of like, oh, my body struggle. And it's, and I don't even think I realized about how much even that affected my digestion because I used to have constant candida and then getting on this medication because my hormones weren't in flux as much, my digestion got better. So really just like it was hormones are really important folks yeah so <laughs> yes, I mean there's so, receptors for all of your hormones all over your entire body so definitely the hormonal system affects the whole system yeah, yeah. absolutely so, uh, yeah so then did you ever have a conversation with a provider or anybody or even your partner about like maybe I won't even be able to get pregnant or did you think that you probably would be able to because you were able to identify that you were ovulating, you were getting your period regularly. So they were thinking everything would be fine. You mean being on medication or being off it? So when, so you're on the medication and you're thinking, maybe I want to have children. I'm in a relationship with somebody that's open to that. Did you ever have a conversation with a provider about like your ability to get pregnant because of the, the presence of the tumor. Just yeah. Um, not in a super detailed one. Cause I think at the time I was not in the camp of wanting to get pregnant still. Uh. Um, but I, when they get you, they have the conversation about whether you want to get pregnant or not is like, um, because they gave me the impression that if I was not on the medication because of the high prolactin levels, it was less likely that I'd be able to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So because, and I'm now I'm kind of not so sure because of all the birthing classes I'm going to, they're saying like you can get pregnant right after you give birth. Um, even though that's when your prolactin levels are highest when you're breastfeeding. But um, that's what the doctors were saying is that it's like a lot of times women find out they have tumors because they're trying to get pregnant and they can't. And then they find out the tumor is associated with it. So that's one of the reasons where they're like, let's get you on medication right away. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, and they say, um, and I didn't really get a lot of clarity until I got pregnant. And then I talked to my endocrinologist and he said, get off the medication just because it messes with your hormones. And then he said something. He's not, it was not very, a really like warm, fuzzy kind of doctor. It was like the standard cold, like very short answers. Um, and he's like, yeah. And if you need it again, just give me a call. And it was like, if I need it again. So I did some research and found out that, and I'm probably don't have the number right, but it was a reasonable uh, percentage, but I think it was something like 40% of women who get pituitary tumors and then get pregnant don't actually need medication afterwards. Interesting. So 
Yeah. And, and I think it just depends because there's some people that have the tumors that it's like in the centimeters and it's really huge. Um, and those people that get pregnancy are 60% less likely to need medication afterwards. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, so that's all super interesting about how the, like just some kind of a big hormonal shift, like having a kid can have on your whole system. So totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that they say, um, will be cured hormonally with getting pregnant, which is kind of annoying that they say that to people that maybe don't want to get pregnant, but, um, awesome in your case that maybe you won't have to take the medication anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. So um, maybe you can tell us about when you found out you were pregnant, what that was like and having the conversation with your partner. So um, I am very aware of how dualistic I am and, and when it comes out. So even though I had had these movies come out of like, oh, like this is somebody that I feel like I could build a life with and get pregnant with. I also just finished this big training in structural body work and was really excited to explore that and like really like gung-ho about like, okay, now I really want to jump into my career and build this whole new, like revamp my practice. I've been a massage therapist for 10 years. And then I found this new branch that just felt so right to me. And so I was really exploring that and then, and then found out I was pregnant. And so I really panicked. Um, I really panicked. <laughs> and, um, so I, I remember like the first thing I did actually was I called my sister who got me on birth control, which actually felt really poetic, um, thinking about it. Like I remember talking to her and she was just like, so excited. And then she's like, Oh wait, is this, is this a good thing? Do you, what, how can I support you? Like, what do you need? And I was like, no, I, I know I'm, I'm going to keep it, but that's the part that scares me and just processing it with her. And she was so supportive and sweet. And, and then, so my partner, um, I call, he was at work at the time. So hence also why I didn't want to call him at work and say like, it's <laughs> so, um, anyways, and so I called him and talked to him on the phone and told him and he was like okay and I think at that point too my period was a little late so it was not a total surprise or it was a surprise that we had been like pondering for a few days mm -hmm. and um and he's like well you know what? whatever you want to do I support you and then I was like no I'm I know I'm gonna keep it that that's just it feels like the only decision for me um but you know, I appreciate your understanding. He's like, okay, well, either way, he's like, I'm going to wait three days and make sure you don't change your mind. And then we'll have another conversation about it. And so three days passed and he's like, okay, I just want to make sure, how do you feel about this? What do you want to do? And I was like, I'm still on the same page. Like, even though this terrifies me, I feel like this is a, a part of me who wants this. Um, and so he's like, great, can I be excited now? And, and it was really sweet about it and just was like really excited and saying that he's like, I hope it's a girl. And, you know, like I'm going to. Wow, that's rare. Most men want a boy and women want a girl. I'm not a, across the board, but a lot of men want boys. 
I know, right? And it's the and it was the opposite. I wanted a boy because in my head, I'm like, boys are easier because when I was a kid, me and my sisters were horrible to each other. Mm-hmm. And so, and my nephew was such a delight, <laughs> even though he was like rambunctious and super high energy, he was just such a sweetheart. So in my head, I'm like, I want a boy, even though this is such like a narrow concept of what it means to raise a boy because everyone has different personalities oh, and nice. kids. So anyways, um, yeah, so he's been like really on board and excited and I've been the one that's been like fluttering back and forth between like high anxiety and then feeling excited and nesting and trying to, and then also I think part of my anxiety though is like going through the labor process and going through the body changes because I think through my hormonal journey, I really got to love my body and realize like how to take care of it. And then now it's like, well, that's on pause. And now you're offering your body as a vessel for something else. And I've been having game. a hard time. Yeah. yeah. And I've been having a hard time sharing. I'm not going to lie. Um you know, feeling sick or all the different pains that happen with it. And just everything seems harder. And I'm then somebody that likes to feel and do things independently and and know that I can take care of myself. And, and not that I couldn't still do that now, but it's so much harder and really getting that outside support has made such a big difference. And I feel a little resentful about that, about me. It is. I mean, I have limited experience, but I will say I had a very similar feeling during pregnancy, just feeling frustrated, especially as my belly got bigger. And I just felt like I can't like lift things or like there were certain things that I just couldn't do that weren't available to me anymore with the way that my body was. Um, And I, yeah, I had to ask for more help or needed more support. And it's such a good preparation for motherhood because the same thing happens where you're just like, I want to do, and this has just been my experience. So I'm just sharing my experience, but I think maybe you would have a similar desire to like, I want to do everything. I want to do everything for my business, for the house, for my kid, for everybody. And you, it's impossible. It is impossible. So having be like getting prepared during pregnancy for kind of letting go and letting people support you can be really helpful. Yeah. And something I do really appreciate is uh, I, I was reading a little bit about, I think when you were talking, you sent me like a little prep email and talking about like stories and how they really make a difference and how inspiring they can be. And I really feel similarly, like, like somebody's story is so much impact on you. And something I've been doing now in particular is like, asking people what their birth stories are or what it was like being a mother for them. And, and I get like the whole range of it's the best time of my life. I never felt better in my body. And I'm like, not me. I don't feel that way. And then other mothers that say about how labor was really challenging and scary, or even just the whole, um, the pregnancy or about how they had to really learn how to let go of control, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is going to be my issue because even though I do believe it takes a village and I'm very excited about that prospect and watching this little baby grow up and really explore the different you know avenues and see it all for the first time I can't control that 
And that's, I think, going to be really scary for me and, and trying to let them live their own lives. So that that's something that I feel like is really going to be a learning experience for me. Yes. Yeah, it has very much been a learning experience for me also. It still yeah. continues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else about the pregnancy that you'd like to share? Um, we were talking before we started recording about um, some things that you usually would do that aren't feeling so great right now. And then some other things that you've been using throughout your pregnancy to feel a little bit more comfortable. If you'd like to share about any of those things. Yeah. So I, as a, been a body worker for like a decade and I also teach Pilates, um, like just being in my body has just been like a big thing for me. So I would get, I used to get massages or some type of body work. So like, you know, every other week, every week, depending or work out three or four times a week, you know, it was super like regular and consistent. And it's like, okay, self-care just became like a way of like really nourishing myself. And it just, it always just made me feel good mentally, like, you know, giving myself a gold star. And now it's like, um, I can't do And I can't say I can't do any of the same things. I definitely can't get body work and feel the same kind of um, relief from it. So I've gotten a couple massages and um, I felt like I had to, it took me days to recover. I'm hypermobile. I already have really loose joints. And then with all the relaxant in my system, it just felt like everything just felt taxed and even like a really gentle prenatal massage like it wasn't it's it would just felt like my belly was gonna drop out of my vagina like right there like I felt like I like the tension that I built up in myself it's like almost like I lost support so it, it just didn't feel as gratifying for me but one thing that I've been able to do and I'm just doing it more consistently is acupuncture so I was I've been an on again off again acupuncture patient and um I met actually an, so I met an acupuncturist here. She was, she's a neighbor of mine and I got, we'd always, our dogs would always like meet when we'd walk and, and I got COVID and she actually gave me a bunch of herbal remedies that really helped with my recovery. And she, you know, was just really passionate and on it, you know? So when I got pregnant, I was like, can you help me? <laughs> and she's done really great work and it's been really supportive. And so, so she'll do some like craniosacral works and then she'll do acupuncture and it's very like gentle. And, and she's already even like ordered me some herbs for postpartum. So, which I'm like, thank you so much. Um, and then I've also been working with a chiropractor who does very, um, gentle and specific work. And, a lot of times our sessions are really brief. Like there's no real popping. It's more like a gentle coaxing and it just feels so perfect. So those two ladies are really making a difference in my life right now. And, and what then, are you mostly um, using the acupuncture for? Any like specific symptoms or is it just kind of for overall comfort? I think it's overall comfort has been the more consistent thing. Um, so I've been different, like different things. So I think there's certain parts like now, especially in the third trimester, it's like, well, we can't really help a whole lot with the breathing like challenges because there's just not enough space for your diaphragm. It's nothing that can be changed. 
um, from acupuncture, there's, or most things, but, um, or uh, my reflux, the same thing. She's like, we can do some needles for that, but she's like, I don't think it's really going to help because it's more about space than it is about function. Yeah. So uh, she was helping me. I was getting a lot of congestion. Um, and then especially, so I'm still in Arizona where it's really dry and really hot. And so my allergies were, I already have allergies and then it's like, you get pregnant and that gets worse. Mm -hmm. And so my congestion was really bad. So it was really helpful with that. And then just like overall, like the emotional fluctuations, like I felt, I, I have felt like a very cliche pregnant woman, like you're cheating on me. <laughs> and then, um, and just like rapidly going back and forth between feeling like really insecure and scared and then really like, great, everything's wonderful. And, and so I felt like getting those regular sessions also kind of helped keep me in, in a less up and down high fluctuation state. So more balanced. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And then so, what about the chiropractic stuff? Is there anything specific or mostly just for general? So she's been helpful in terms of like, I'll, you know, I'm not like I was having, oh, I was having a lot of pubic symphysis dysfunction. And so once I started seeing her regularly is when that cleared up and and I, not just her, I did also figure out this, uh, different workout routine. That's more about opening up the pelvis and finding balance, but not doing necessarily like the normal squats or core work that we would normally do because you can't do that, but like asymmetrical kind of work and how helpful that could be. And, um, and that I think coupled with her very gentle manipulation was really helpful. So something that's been, uh, I've been actually having a lot of upper back and shoulder tension and issues. So, and even mid thoracic where, you know, kind of like diaphragm and so as really connect to the anterior part of the spine is really where I've been having um, some tension issues. So she will do, which can't be helped. It's just part of the process. And so she'll, she'll definitely do some things that are um, just kind of gentle coaxing. And yeah. Does uh, your acupuncturist do any cupping? I don't think so, actually. Um, she has been, um, well, she hasn't on me at least. So you could ask her because you could sit like in a chair and like put your arms over the back of the chair and she could cup like that. I, I just remember that feeling really well too, like wanting to go like this, but yeah. your belly just like prevents you from being able to like really move in a way that can sound like that you can get a satisfying stretch in your upper back and mid thoracic sort of area. So anyway, mm -hmm. I, and I love cupping. It's like <laughs> my favorite thing. So if she does that, you should ask her. I will. That's a great idea. I do miss cupping. Cupping has been so helpful. And I think even like, I mean, it may not help with congestion, like sinus congestion kind of stuff, but I just always felt like it's just helped flush things out. In totally. Such a nice yeah. Way, so. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. So I would love to also talk if you're open to it, talking about your birth plan, if you have one. Um, like where you're gonna give birth, what providers you're working with, if you have any kind of like labor prep plans or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so figuring out my birth plan has just been a little tricky because I think part of me, 
So I'm 36 and I have never been told so many times how old I am by doctors. I was wondering about that because I know, I knew we were a similar age, but we're the same age. I didn't know that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been kind of like, I know I'm not old, but they're pretty much saying your uterus is old and, or your eggs are. So there's all these extra precautions that everybody's asking me to take. And so I knew it was just important to get in with somebody right away just to, you know, verify pregnancy and get started on a protocol. So I just kind of found one and she was just very much kind of like my endocrinologist, like very like cold, short to the point doctor. And, you know, like she was a good doctor and very well-versed. She had a great reputation, um, but I just did not really click with her. And then I, I got COVID while pregnant and, oh, and it, uh, she just was kind of MIA, like in her nurse. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I got, I, I, I got kind of like just forgotten about, like, I tried to see her and like get a zoom or a phone call and I just didn't really hear back. And then when I called back to talk to the, the triage nurse, she was just like, yeah, she doesn't do that. Just wait till you're better. You'll be fine. And I, yeah. And it was just like, okay, no, that's okay. So I went to then check out a midwife. Cause I was actually thinking like, Oh, like an alternative birthing center sounded really great. And I think the clinic we went to, I just didn't really, and I didn't, I knew I did not want to deliver at home. I knew I wanted to be somewhere near a hospital, if not at a hospital would just make me feel more at ease because if there were any complications, I would just be freaked out about having to then travel and take that extra, especially with everyone telling me how old I am. So Uh, So I knew that I wanted to be at or near a hospital. So I went to a midwife that would work at a birthing center that connects right to TMC, which is the local, they specialize in then births and prenatal care and just didn't really have a great experience at the clinic. And it was like my partner who's been really adamant about coming to every appointment. He wasn't allowed in the building Mm. because of like COVID and and then when I waited she was really great at listening to me and hearing me and I thought she did a wonderful job with that but then like I had just gotten over COVID and she's like let's get you more like vaccines right now go and it was like I I don't know it just felt really pushy um and she and then she's like oh and I can't really help you with delivery because I've retired from that so you got to see another person here and it just felt like okay so now I've got to find another person here and pay all this extra money so I did research and got recommendations on from my naturopath for a gynecologist um, who works with TMC, and she has been amazing. She is a doctor doctor. She's not a midwife, but um, she's like really like she's so lovely and she's very like listens to me, but also is like direct. And I just didn't feel ignored by her and her office and clinic has been so great and just even getting me in and adjusting with me and being supportive. So I feel like, okay, it may not be the alternative birth plan that I kind of wanted, but I feel really like safe in this place. So I will be delivering at the hospital, not the midwifery center. And then, um, I guess really I hear so much about, um, it's good to have a plan, but don't get attached to it because it's likely not going to happen. So I'm trying not to plan 
Um, I just know that I want to have a more natural birth. And then going through the pregnancy classes was just really a rude awakening in terms of, you know, if a complication happens or if you're, you know, if they need to induce you, you know, like these are the medical options. These are the non-medical options, you know, um, or if you are in so much pain, like these are the, these are the medication options. And otherwise, like, and if you don't progress, then these are the things that can happen and how that could be a big problem. So anyway, it's just like a lot to deal with. Um, so I know that I don't want to do medication and I'm doing a lot and trying to prep my body for breathing and really just trying to make sure to connect in with my pelvis and figure out how I can make sure to be open. And I'm already talking to my acupuncture and she's like, well, we're not there yet, but she's like, I can help induce if that comes down to it, but that's going to be like way down the road. Um, I mean, even getting acupuncture throughout your pregnancy even though the intention isn't like we're inducing you just like keeping that constant circulation and keeping everything really um healthy is really useful for kind of like having things happen in a timely fashion so Mm -hmm. I mean you're already kind of doing that good yeah (laughs) um there was something I wanted to say about that uh I If you're interested, and like, just ignore this if you're not, but um, if you are interested in reading more like positive birth stories, which for me, I wanted, I only exposed myself to positive things. um, And I don't know if that's like a Pollyanna attitude, but I just was like, I don't want to hear anybody's like negative, traumatic story. I only want to hear positive birth stories, natural birth stories to empower myself that I can do it. And I do feel like that was really helpful for my mindset. So Ina Mae Gaskin, have you heard of her? No. She used to, or actually it's still there. It's like a birth place. Uh, I don't, it's not really like a birth center. It's a place. Um, and she, so she's a midwife and she was doing a lot more like in the sixties and seventies, um, and she wrote this book called, um, well, there's two, there's spiritual guide to midwifery. And then there's another one, which the name is escaping me right now, but she had, it's basically all positive birth stories about the way that women talk about the sensations that they experience, the ways that they use, they move or use their body or do make certain sounds or like softening your jaw, like, or making, um, yeah, there's a lot of different sounds that are kind of funny, but it was really, really helpful for me to read through that to kind of have, go in with a more positive perspective, because there was actually one, it sounds similar to what you're talking about with like the birthing class that I went to, um, where it was just kind of like, if you're in a hospital, like these are all the things that could potentially happen. And um none of that sounded particularly appealing to me. So I just did a little bit more research into like physiological birth and how it's a natural process. And women have been doing this for all time. And that sometimes those interventions at the hospital are, could potentially create more problems if you're not, or if you're not like advocating for yourself of like, 
can we just give it a couple more days? Like maybe you don't need to induce me right this second. Why don't we just give it a little bit more time? And then that could potentially avoid putting you into what um, someone that I've studied with, Corinne Brown, she was on a couple podcasts ago. She talks about it as like the labor funnel where like you get induced and then the contractions are too strong. So then you get an epidural and then you can't push effectively. So you get the vacuum or the forceps or you get a C-section, you're not progressing more, you know, like there's, it's, it's wonderful that we have these interventions if we need them, but it, Basically, I was trying to prepare myself for like, how can I set myself up for not going down that road? And if I need to go down that road, it's available. But like, what can I do to try to avoid that labor funnel, as she calls it? So um, that it sounds like you already have an awareness of that, of like some of those things that you want to try to avoid. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have been working with a, a pair of doulas um, that work. That together. was my next question. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which they're like really supportive and they're like, okay, we're going to go over the, like they're helping us set up a birth plan and just kind of like giving us suggestions on like, oh, going to the hospital, what that process is going to be like, but also kind of like, you know, these are the things that could happen and these are the things that we could do. And we, so they're trying to get like the idea about like, well, what do you, what is your vision and like trying not to attach to it, but like, is it really at all costs do not want a C-section, you know, or is it like, what can we do? Is it, do you want a C-section? You know, so it is really helpful in terms of like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, this is not something that's really, crossed my mind it is my first child so that is part of it but yeah yeah but it is really fascinating and just and I've as a body worker too like I've just worked with so many women who have had c-sections or then hysterectomies and now the more that I'm learning about just like how the female anatomy is set in the body like how that really like it's a surgery and it's going to affect everything else so for like the survival of the baby, I would absolutely do it, but I don't want to jump into it if I really right. don't have to. And then, and I've heard that too, that it's like, oh, Pitocin causes this and it can lead to that. And so it's like, can you deal with this? Or even if you try to push through it, sometimes your energy levels won't. So. Well, um, and I'm also thinking specifically for you, because I mean, personally, I think this whole like geriatric pregnancy thing is complete and utter bullshit. I was pregnant when I was 34. So I was like two years younger and suddenly I was low risk and now I'm high risk because two years passed. Like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of my entire life. I know that there's a lot of liability and they have to protect themselves and whatever. And there has to be like some kind of line to, you know, like now you're past this, whatever, but just to like provide like a different perspective of like probably what you're being inundated with is like you're old and you're geriatric and your eggs are old and your uterus is old and your body doesn't work anymore like that is complete complete bullshit I know tons of women that are have been in their 40s that have had home births no problem so yeah so anyway just to say that um 36 is not old yeah. I, I don't think it is. It's just so weird to have that interaction. And someone's like pretty much in the nicest way, nicest medical way. Like, they're like, well, you're old. So we have to take extra precautions. And then it's like, what? Well, and, and I, I guess, guess you're... 
And specifically, I was bringing this up right now because I think that they become a little bit more intervention happy if there's like a high risk situation, whether that's based on age or whatever other complication or like a big baby or a small baby or what other kind of reason there maybe potentially is for there to be a little bit more risk for, for them. Um, yeah, they can be a little bit more likely to be like, oh, well, we really need to induce now and kind of like pressure you into things. Um, so, but it's really, so the doulas are going to come with you is that, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they'll be such a great resource to talk to about all of that. If you're starting to get pressure about like, we need to induce, or we need to do this or that because you're, you know, geriatric. <laughs> So. And that's something that I do appreciate because even though like I have been doing my own research in terms of like, you can advocate for yourself, your doctors, like, especially at a hospital, they will try to look, they're going to look at things through this scope and it's going to be up to you to say like, not yet, or I'm going to wait, or no, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, dot, dot, dot. So even though I'd like to think that I can like be like, no, I can totally do that in the moment, but then also I'm going to be going through this huge physical process that I've never gone through before and not really know what's happening or what to expect and all the possibilities. So I do feel like I feel so relieved to know that I'm going to have somebody there, like in my corner, knowing what I do and don't want, that's going to help me with this process. And I feel like my partner is good at that too, but not, he's just not knowledgeable. That's just not his expertise at all. Like he doesn't even have female anatomy. So right. it's, it's, yeah. So yeah, I'm very... no, I definitely think doulas have something really special to offer that, um, yeah, especially for a, a first birth, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much unknown and it's really helpful to have a woman in your corner. Yeah. Did you have a doula? I did. Yeah. I had a doula and I had two midwives, um, and they, mm-hmm. everybody came to my house and then my my now husband was there and that was it. So it was really great. And my doula mostly gave me water. That was really helpful. I wouldn't have done it on my own. She had to like force me to drink because you you're like in a different world. It's it's so strange because I can't even exactly recall what it was like because it's it was like being on a different planet, like earthly things don't even occur to you. (laughs) And it's not even like pain necessarily that makes it that way it's just it's really like yeah like a dream world or something so and yeah just really helpful for um mindset you know of just like you're doing it there I my biggest uh my labor was very fast it was five and a half hours and I mean I don't know I don't think I could I don't know what I would have done with a longer labor. Like a lot of women first labors are way longer than that. Mm. Um, so I feel really lucky because I, even in that short of a labor, I was, um, I felt a lot of times like nothing is happening. I kept saying that I said, I kept saying like, there's nothing happening. I keep pushing and there's, she's not moving. Like it's not happening. Um, you know, it felt like kind of like she's got to be stuck in there or something, something must be wrong. And just having that reassurance of like, this is how it is, you know, like it just takes time and every push is getting you closer and your baby's on the other side, you know, just having those like 
really meaningful words of affirmation of just like, you're doing it. You're strong. You can do this totally. And then also they were all mothers. And so I, I felt not that that like necessarily needs to be the case, but I, I felt kind of like you all did this, you know, I can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's something about that, like mom club kind of thing. Yeah. And what about uh, postpartum? Have you been thinking about that yet? I know it maybe is a little bit too early to be planning for that, but. It's, it's, I haven't so much been in the planning process of that is more as the processing part of it. So thinking like, okay, what's going to happen at, like, it's like, I'm, I'm putting so much thought and intention and, and preparation into the labor itself. And then there's another like voice in my head that's like, but there's going to be an after <laughs> and that's going to be pretty important too and last a lot longer. So, um, just, I know that my, you know, about my hair is going to start falling out and then it's like, things are going to start changing pretty quickly, going back to normal, or I guess more recovery repair to then go back to normal. So, um, I'm still really researching that and like what to expect slash like, I'm already thinking like, I love cooking I'm like a home meal person primarily and my partner is not and so he's more of an order out kind of guy and he will make food and it can be very delicious it's just not normally how he likes to spend his time so I'm already thinking about like okay I've got to meal prep and put things in the freezer or who do I know will be willing to make me food that I think will make food that I can eat um because it's what I'm hearing. It's like, I won't really have the energy to do a lot of other things. And I well, really even, do. Even if you do feel like you have the energy, <laughs> you know, I, that's what, how I felt. I was like, my mother-in-law came and she was like, sit down, like, don't do anything. Like, I would try to do things. And she was like, no. And I'm so grateful for that because I know that I would have been like trying to do everything and it can deplete you even if you don't realize it in the moment so I'm sorry if I interrupted you please keep going oh no that's fine and I'm and that's what I was thinking I was like sounds like somebody has a personal relating story to that yeah. which that, that is very much my personality and had I've had certain moments of that with my pregnancy like I'm still working in my third trimester and I'm not working as much and I am really limiting like how much I will do in a day but it, it has been like a rude awakening for me to, to step aside and realize that like, oh, you know, that thing that you made time for and you put your energy into now you can't do anything for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then I will be dead on the couch and feel like I can't do anything. And so I do feel like I'm usually like, oh, I regret this because now I learned. So that does seem like something I would do. Um, uh, I do have my family and some friends that are really like, let me help babysit. What do you need? I'm here to help clean if you need that. And um, which has been interesting because I've not been close with my mom for a long time. And her and I have been rebuilding a relationship for the past few years. And Does she live there. She lives near where you she live? lives nearby. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think since I've been pregnant, she's been kind of showing me this like softer side of her that I feel like I didn't really see very well before. And now she's just like, 
like, do you want me to get you groceries? What can I do? And, and I think it's like, I'm going through something that she can relate to. And so now it's like a, a way for us to bond together that we didn't really have before, mm-hmm. which has been kind of nice. Cause I don't feel like I had that connection with her before. So she's anyways, I'm like, yes, I will definitely take you up on that when the baby comes. Cause that's when I think I'm really going to need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking about how, like, I don't know how all movement or exercise will be because it's going to be recovery. But I know that my acupuncturist is already like, okay, we got these herbs, then you can come see me at this point. And um, yeah, and just really trying to get my house ready for feeling like I won't have to do anything. Everything was just going to be ready and set up, which I like the nesting, which I'm, I'm really into actually. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now's the time any suggestions or pointers yeah um I mean I think it's great what you said about the freezer meal thing and then if you could set up like a meal train I didn't have to do this but I know a lot of people do um set up a meal train with people bringing different things um you know also pad sickles highly recommend you basically just okay you already know what that is I've heard of it but I've I've heard like some somebody was just like witch hazel and then I think someone else was like aloe you uh, can make them a bunch of different ways um what I did I had a peri bottle I don't know if they do this like at the hospital but it's basically like it's like a squirt bottle because you can't like wipe with toilet paper which I didn't know about that until after I gave birth you can't wipe with toilet paper because it would hurt so bad so you use a peri bottle I don't know if everybody does this but this is what I did to like wipe after you pee and um and so I the reason I'm bringing that up is because I would make I brewed a bunch of comfrey tea and then I froze it in the freezer in like a big jar or something and then I would just thought actually no I had a bunch of little jars and I would thaw it and I would put that in the peri bottle. So it'd be like half comfrey tea and half water. And the reason for that is because comfrey has this sort of like tissue rebuilding property. That's why comfrey is the herb that I chose to use. And then I would also, um, before, so when I brewed the tea initially, so I did this while I was pregnant, so I didn't have to do it after she was born. So I just basically like squirted the tea onto the, onto a, like a big, not like a huge pad, like not like the huge, huge postpartum pads, but like a normal pad. And uh, then just put a bunch of them in the freezer. And I would just kind of like, anytime I would change my pad, I would put on a new one. And it was so refreshing. Um, and as an acupuncturist, if anybody's familiar with acupuncture, you know, that like cold in the womb is no, no. <laughs> so I, I do think it's great for the inflammation to take down the inflammation in that area. And it felt really soothing to me. And then I also was doing steaming to kind of like counteract the hot, cold thing, which is usually what I recommend for anybody to do, like with any kind of injury, not that birth is like an injury, but it's intense. And uh, so, yeah, there's this cooling part where it's taking down the inflammation and just feels really soothing. And then the heat to keep circulation going to, and to prevent any like cold from entering into your body. So anyways. So would you steam every day? Ideally, Um, yeah. Like the, I've been meaning to make a podcast specifically about postpartum steaming, which 
now that I'm talking about it again, maybe I will, but um, it's to steam for 30 days in a row. And then it switches to like a different, like doing it monthly kind of thing. And it really depends on what's going on. And you can actually start steaming, which this really surprised me at when I first learned about this, but you can start steaming like a couple days after you've given birth, as long as it feels comfortable. It's basically once the bleeding becomes less, because there is a certain amount of bleeding that's completely natural and good. And part of the reason that you're steaming is to make sure all of that is fully cleared out. But if you're noticing that it increases your bleeding and you're feeling concerned about it or depleted, then you would just stop doing it. And I started off doing it pretty mild and I, my stool was very uncomfortable for me. I didn't anticipate that, like that sitting down on wood felt awful after. Um, and then as I was healing, then it started to feel okay. Now it's totally fine, but recommend a cushion for sure. Or like maybe even setting up in a different way. I would have done things differently for sure. And I wish I had prioritized steaming more. I wish I had taken that time for myself and said, like, ask somebody to hold her for a little bit, but I was so, um, different than I thought I would be. I thought I would be kind of like, oh, sure. Hold my baby. But I was like, I don't want to like let her go ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you never know quite what's going to happen, but I, I do wish I prioritized that a little bit more. Yeah. So. Well, that, and that makes a lot of sense. Like I think in any type of process procedure injury recovery like the hot cold either one I know some people are more preferential to cold versus hot or hot versus cold but I do feel like it's the back and forth mm -hmm. that really is going to pump your circulatory system so that really does make a lot of sense yeah totally and then comfrey tea is what you used for the padsicles correct yes yeah but I mean witch hazel aloe um I think I made some for my sister and I did, I used witch hazel and aloe, but then it was my, my midwives that specifically said the comfrey tea, both for in the peri bottle and then to make the padsicles. So um, trying to think if there was anything else. Um, are you planning to breastfeed? I was, I was wondering about that with, with like the prolactin thing. Um, has there been any conversation around that? I definitely want to breastfeed. Um, I, as a kid, did not breastfeed very much. Like I was just a, a very fussy baby, apparently. And um, and I think that uh, somebody gave me formula at one point and it was just like, I never went back to mm. the boob. So um, I, and then I've also had a history of like lots of autoimmune and digestive issues. Now, whether that's related or not, I know we can't really tell, mm -hmm. but I know that so much comes from building the immune system with breastfeeding that to me, I'm like, you know, I want to, it's free. <laughs> so, um, so I plan to breastfeed and actually that's something I've been looking into, like um, I just finished uh, birthing classes and now I'm like, okay, so I'm looking into hypnobirthing and I'm looking into breastfeeding. Like, do I take classes on that? I know that there's like some places you could do um, just like an open Q&A and they'll just answer any questions or help with any troubleshooting stuff because I know there's a lot that goes with latching and sometimes it's really difficult and sometimes the baby's tongue tied or you don't have the right angle and 
or like maybe your nipples aren't dark enough and they can't see it as easily. Like I know there's like so many different factors. So um, I just, I want to know more about it. So that is something I want. I just feel like trepidatious about, but that is my goal is to breastfeed. And I heard that there's like nipple confusion if you give them Mm-hmm. Like even if you breastfeed and then you give them a bottle um, of like your your milk that it still confuses them and then they may not go back yeah. to it. I remember my midwives telling me uh, not, I can't remember, I can't remember if it was three months, but kind of saying I, I, there's something about that sticking out in my mind of like not to give her anything else like pacifier, bottle, anything um, so that there isn't any confusion. Um, and yeah, she's still nursing. So, but it really depends on the baby. Like some of, some don't have interest in it. Um, she's obsessed. (laughs) I don't know what exactly makes that happen, but yeah, but it's, it's such a beautiful bonding experience if it, you know, works out for people. Yeah. yeah. I know that right now there's the whole, um, formula crisis yeah. happening, which is, yeah. I mean, I had already wanted to breastfeed and now I'm like, okay, for sure. Um, but with what's happening, but one thing that I thought was so fascinating is that I heard on, I think one news show that they were talking about like 60% of women use formula Mm. or some, it was a really large number. And I remember thinking like, that's insane. Well, I think a big part of it is the, I mean, I don't know, but I, I, yeah, whatever women choose to do is like no judgment about that at all. Um, but I know it would have been exponentially harder to continue breastfeeding if I had to go back to work because I, I did go back to work. Like I would treat like a patient or two. Like I, I haven't seen more than three people in a row since my daughter was born and I can't, like, I can't, I mean, now she's two, I could be away from her for longer and I just choose not to be. Um, but I mean, though there was one day where I was gone for five hours and my boobs were about to explode, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, there's ways to pump at work and, you know, it depends on a variety of factors of what people's jobs look like. But I do think that that plays a huge role. It would be hugely inconvenient to continue breastfeeding and like worry about your baby, like maybe being hungry. I just, I think that's what plays a big role probably. Yeah. And that does make a lot of sense. Some Something that's just become really aware to me is that because I've not gone through this experience before and I've had my own kind of baggage with like trying to be distant from what it means to be a mom it's now that I'm going through that process and all of the things that happen with it like pregnant brain nausea energy changes and and then even thinking about that like I've I've seen other women who have to like take breaks to constantly pump or you have to really organize it in your workload if you do go back to work And I don't think I would have had any concept of like how much that takes. And like, I, so I feel like, wow, I probably would have had like, I would feel like a dick because I would have had no concept of like, yeah, like no empathy for how that's a big deal and it's a big purpose. And so it takes a lot of work. And so I have so much like appreciation for all the women that have had to do it. I've had heard clients that are like, they go back to work two weeks after 
and all of the stuff they have to do with it. Or I think you're right. That does make sense on why women would go to formula then because they probably can't make that work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah. So, but it sounds like it will be okay with the way that your life is set up. Well, yeah, hopefully I don't have to go back to work right away. Um, and I'm, I, I'm just want to, like, I feel very passionate about my job and my work that I'm like, I'll take six weeks. And then I having, even my partner's like, let's, you know, maybe two, three months, you know, and then arrive other people that are like, no, 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 let's talk about this after you have your kid. Yeah. Like, you don't know. And I'm like, I probably don't know, but I know I still really want to work at some point. Yeah. But yeah, I can just so relate to that. I remember talking to a fellow acupuncturist while I was pregnant and we were talking about doing some work together. And I was like, oh, I'll be here like right away. I'm just going to be totally fine. And physically I was, but emotionally I not want to leave my child. So, um, yeah, it's been a work in progress, but I, I think, but there's other people, like I have friends that go back to work right away and they feel great and they have great childcare and it really just depends on the person. So I think it's, I appreciate other people sharing with me their experience. Um, but yeah, I also appreciate people giving me space for mine, you know? So yeah, it'll be whatever it is. And you'll know when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> so I would love for you to share about um, any offerings that you have or what your work looks like right now, um, if you're still seeing clients, um, and then your <laughs> website and Instagram so people can find you. Yeah. So as I'm in the third trimester, I'm actually stopping body work at the end of the month. So in a couple weeks, um, just because it, it does really feel like taxing. And um, so I think there's like a few more people that it's like the work that I do is structural integration. So it's like postural um, re-education work. Um, I went to school uh, with Tom Myers and Maine for anatomy trains and um, and it is like intensive work. So it's like you would commit to series work for like three to 12 sessions. So I can't really offer that. So I, I have a mentor here who was talking about like, you're going to have to think about when you're going to stop because you won't be able to do this for very long. And so I'm, I'm really reaching the end of that. So I've already got kind of a list of people that I'm building to work with for when I do return sometime in the fall. <laughs> um, and then my website for that is soulbodywork-movement.com, S-O-L bodywork-movement.com. And that's gives all the detailed information about the structural body work I do, as well as uh, I do still teach Pilates because that is, um, it's still like, it still takes energy, but it's a lot easier to direct somebody to move versus to move them. Um, so I'm still teaching Pilates and then that's also on my website. And then, or if you're just curious, um, I'm on uh, Instagram. My handle is Catherine underscore Sisson. Easy. Uh, Catherine with a C. So, and that's where I'm just kind of trying to post my movement journey. And like all the different things that are really just helping me kind of move forward and prep my body. And it's, I do feel, I've been hearing a lot about how there's so many pregnant women that are not moving very much because they're, they're battling with energy levels or they're just not used to moving. And 
I feel like it has made such a big difference in terms of like when I've not pushed myself and not underdone it, when I've been able to be consistent and then be and listen to what my needs are is when I'm just feeling like consistently good. So I highly recommend that to anybody who's maybe uncertain about that. It's like, there's, I'm sure there's resources everywhere about how to move your body. Instagram is like so full of all these amazing different women who are like gone through it and just share their personal experience or doulas. Mm -hmm. Wonderful doulas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's really helpful for the labor process too, to keep your body um, not going crazy with movement, but to having some functional movement. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Holly. This was fabulous. I'm really glad you reached out. Yeah, me too. I am very excited to announce that I have a couple of new products available at the Rosebud Wellness shop. So one is a full moon rose abdominal massage oil, and the other one is a new moon lavender abdominal massage oil. So each of them are made with jojoba oil and the flowers that they have inside of them. And then the full moon one is set out under the light of the full moon, and the new moon is set out under the darkness of the new moon so that they absorb the energy of those different times. And I also wanted to mention that you can use my coupon code, which is WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. So also don't forget that I have my Yoni Steam Herb Blends available there, these two new massage oils, and then you can also use that coupon code for a Yoni Steam or any kind of consult with me. So uh, that's rosebudwellness.com slash shop and use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.